0: I want you to picture yourself, think about a time of life. Where were you in 2007? In 2007, what was happening in your life? Where were you working? Where were you going to school? Where were you living? What was happening in 2007? Whether you know it or not, the world drastically changed in 2007. Now, it's not just because I graduated from high school Barely, but that did happen, which some of you are like, man, you're older than I thought, or some of you are like, you're younger than I thought. I don't don't know how to take either of those comments. But in 2007, the world completely changed, because in 2007, the very first iPhone was introduced into the world. Now, before any of the Android users start to at me and start some sort of blood war, because we know Apple users and Android users are sort of like the Hatfields and the McCoys or the Bloods and the Crips, hold yourself and let me talk a little bit about this. In 2007, Steve Jobs, who had some issues himself, was pretty visionary in this thought process of having a device that would be so many different things. That it would take wonderful photos so you no longer have to go and digitally upload them all to social media. And then if you were a millennial girl, pick out what lyrics from some sort of band you were going to put as the title of that album. You no longer had to take it to a store to be developed. That instantly you would have these things and you could put it out into the world. That you could no longer have to carry your Walkman CD player or your iPod MP3 player and your phone, but it would all be in one. That you would no longer have to have this video game that you carried with you, but you would have all of these different things. You see, before 2007, while it was not the first smartphone by any means, it revolutionized the way that we viewed marketed and created smartphones. Prior to that, most smartphones were not aesthetically pleasing, weren't really cool. They were primarily used by business people. And at this point, Apple really even began to kind of pave the way for the Android market, which again, some of you are like, Androids are way better. That's fine. You can be wrong if you want. Um, But the world shifted in that moment. Some of us remember when Computers were just in a big room and no one ever thought of having one. Some of us remember where computers were something where you'd have to make sure that everyone uh, didn't need to use the telephone so you could dial up and get online. And for me, it was find video game cheat codes or play online games. But this revolutionized it where no longer did you go somewhere to be in front of a screen, but the screen was with you wherever you went. And for good, bad, or indifference, all of us, our lives have been completely changed by it. In 2000 is when most people would say that the digital revolution or the digital age truly began. Thankfully, we didn't die from Y2K, if you guys remember Y2K. You know, the nuclear codes, all that didn't go off. We are, we are still here. We are survivors kind of not as fun with this decade, right, where there wasn't anything sort of fun like that. It was just we're back in the roaring 20s. Some of us remember like people packing and getting all ready for Y2K. But since 2000, there's been a huge issue for Americans, really worldwide. Our attention span has been shrinking and shrinking. In 2001, a survey uh, study found that the average American's attention span during a certain study was 12 seconds. Now, to be honest, that's not a lot to begin with. 12 seconds, the average American attention span. Uh, in a recent study that's happened uh, since then, they found that our attention span, the average American's attention span, has dropped to 8 seconds. Now, 4 seconds may not seem uh, hugely significant, but in reality, that's that's pretty, pretty drastic. That's a pretty uh, obvious sort of cause and effect that we see that as things have happened, this has happened. Here's something to put in uh, perspective for you. The average attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. We are losing to the treat that you win at the carnival that probably will hopefully last for a week at home. We have an issue with our attention span, with self-control, and willpower. It's crazy. Our attention span has even had a huge effect on, wait for it, the chewing gum industry. Since 2000, if you think about it, gum kind of relies on uh, impulse buying while you're at the checkout, right? Right? since 2000 uh the uh uh the the industry of chewing gum sales has actually declined by over 15% because think about it when we're standing in line we're not looking for the tasty treat like we used to we're not begging mom like we used to if you're like me or if you're sly like me you just put it in the cart and hope that she didn't notice but instead what are we doing as we're waiting in line or maybe if you're like me and my family, sometimes you're, you're using some sort of thing where you pull up and someone puts your grocery in, in your car. That's honestly wonderful. I'm just going to say, if you haven't done it, it's, it is really wonderful. But this is crazy. A, a study also showed that since 2007 when the iPhone first, uh, or, or, or actually here's what it is, a recent study found that the average uh, smartphone user touches, now this is all age groups because this is an average, touches their phone two thousand six hundred and seventeen times a day it says that that is the average for those who would be in millennial or gen z which would be the two uh youngest generations that we currently have named which again there's a huge difference between millennials and gen z that's a different day uh millennials are not just people who came to ruin your life and are younger than you there's a difference between them the gen z's came to ruin our lives too um, they say that that number actually is even significantly higher than that for the younger generations. Now let's think about this. What in the world is going on? A man named Sean Parker was the creator of Napster. Anyone remember Napster? It was a music service thing. He was one of the original kind of tech guys. He became the very first president of Facebook. He has since become a conscientious Objector to social media. A man who used to be uh, at one of the top levels of social media and innovation of it now is a huge proponent and opposer of social media. Here's what he said in an interview in recent years. He said the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about this. How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention As possible. He goes on and he said, The attention he said was fueled by a little bit of a dopamine hit every once in a while in the form of a like or a comment, which would generate more content in the forms of more likes and comments. And he said, This it's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing a hacker like myself would come up with because what you're doing is you're exploiting a vulnerability. In human psychology. We think. That some of the things. That take up our time. And our attention. Are harmless. And yet the reality is. They're out. To consume us. Now I'm not going to get all conspiracy theory. Aaron here on all of these things. But we hear from the horse's mouth. That in today's culture, especially in tech and things like that, the highest commodity that companies are seeking out right now is your attention. Now, why would they be seeking out your attention? Jesus once said this. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we naively at moments have usually categorized that as he's just talking about your money, your bank account. Maybe we go a little bit farther and say, well, your time, things like that. I'd be willing to say that if Jesus was teaching today, he might say, where your attention is, there your heart will be also. Because where your attention is usually is where your schedule goes, where your relationship goes, where your money goes, where your allegiances go. And so the question that we must begin to wrestle with is, where is your attention? Today we're beginning a new series called, Your Future Self Will Thank You. And I'd love you to just take a moment and think about this. What do you think your future will be based off where you're giving most of your attention right now? Think about that for a second. Because as much as we like to say that, that we are different than just the things that we do, the hobbies that we have, all of those sort of things, we're really not. If you want to see what a person is like how they spend their time, what they value. You can look at their bank account, sure. You can look at their calendar. But you know what's been really annoying? I I don't even know if I've gotten my little uh, thing. I'll probably get it during this time. But anyone who's an iPhone user, I think Android probably has these too. Uh, uh, About a year ago, they started doing this really annoying thing called screen time. Anyone get the notification for that? And it will show you how you spent your week. I'm embarrassed to say this. My average this week was six hours a day. Six hours of my one and only life that I have for screen time. Now, granted, sometimes my screen time is during the middle of the night when I'm rocking my kid and i got nothing else to do. Sometimes our screen time is work and all of those sort of things. But, man, it's been downright embarrassing at times when I look, and then I start to look through and see, ooh, I spent this much time on Facebook, this much time on Instagram, this much time looking at ESPN. And it's wild how quickly our lives can be consumed by these different platforms, applications, and technology. You see, in the world that we live today, and it's always been the case too, with the enemy. And I'm not saying that technology, social media, anything like that is the enemy. But I believe that the enemy, the deceiver, Satan, biggest goal... Isn't just to get you to do bad things, but is to distract you from living out the life that God has called you to. He understands that if He can get your attention, He can get all of you. And so the big goal in all of this morning in this series is just this. How do we begin to give our full attention to Jesus? How do we begin to really think about this in a skillful, uh, thoughtful way? Now, I've been reading a ton of, over the last year or so about uh, digital detoxing and uh, um, digital minimalism. And uh, one book I've recently been reading that I'll talk more about during this series is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But one of the most interesting books I've read this last year that I'd highly recommend if you're interested is by a guy named Drew Dick called Your Future Self Will Thank You. Uh-huh. And his tagline is Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible in Brain Science. Now, the big thesis of his book basically is just this is that self-control may be one of the most important Christian virtues and fruit of the Spirit. When Paul writes and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, he talks about these byproducts, these fruits in our life that we have when we live a life full of the Spirit and in tune with the Spirit. And it's interesting that one of the very last ones is self-control. In 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 And this guy makes this argument that if you think about it, while yes, love is probably the most important thing because God is love, we understand our whole idea of being a follower of Jesus is all about love, it's hard to love if you don't have self-control. When we don't have self-control, typically it's easy to become angry quickly with people. It's easy to become not patient or not kind or not gentle. He defines self-control as this, the ability to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. Now, we find in Second Timothy this, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We also learn this from research by brain scientists and things of that nature. Self-control is deeply connected to willpower. In willpower though we falsely uh, oftentimes just say you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it, if you just try hard enough, you can do this, willpower is a finite resource. Studies have shown that when it comes to the willpower, in particular with self-control, you only have so much. Now, the difficulty that's not necessarily fair is this. Some people have a higher threshold of willpower than others. It's kind of like how some people are just naturally more athletic than others. While, yes, people can work harder, the reality is if someone's working harder harder than you and also is just more athletic than you, chances are they're probably going to beat you in an athletic competition. And in the same way, even doing some uh, studies with children, they found that there's people who just have more willpower than others. But every single person still only has so much. Now, in this book, one of the things he talks about, and we'll talk more about, is this idea of habits and goals and resolutions. And he found this, is that most of the time, it's this time of year, right, that we set out and we set goals or resolutions. And most of us, if we're honest, fail at them. He says one of the issues of why we fail at them is a couple reasons. One, we don't really put them with the right intention. They're all focused on us. And when it's focused on us, there's not a greater um, cause for it. They're bound to fail. The other thing he says is oftentimes we do too many things. We, we picture our future self. And our future self, who actually follows through with all our goals, is in better shape. Our skin looks better. We've read a thousand books. We've memorized the entire Bible. We spend two hours of, in, in prayer each day. Uh, we're patient with our children. We take our, our, our spouse on a date night every night. And it's this fictitious person we could never amount uh, lead up to. But he also says this, since we only have so much willpower, here's what's happening. We don't have enough willpower because we spread it thin in multiple different avenues, and so we don't accomplish any of our goals. And so he makes the argument that in many ways we should be more focused to take small baby steps and to maybe start with one at a time. Now, this morning, I want to talk about a habit that I think would be important for all of us to have if we don't already have that. And that's just this, developing a habit and a life of prayer. And here's the reason why I think this is probably the most important one of all of them. It's just this, prayer centers our attention on Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. If you, and here's the reality, um, Dealing with your physical health is so important. Growing intellectually, so important. Making steps to have a better marriage or relationship with your children, all of those things are so good and worthy of your time and your effort. But it's just this, at the end of the day, if we don't know Jesus, we don't really have a hope or a future that is good. In prayer, as we're going to talk about in a minute, Helps us center our attention that is being split and trying to be pulled in lots of different directions. And it centers our attention on Jesus. And when we truly meet Jesus, we decide that we're going to follow Jesus in an authentic way, become one of his disciples, one of his followers. It changes everything. Or at least it should. Now, prayer at its basic place is just this. Prayer is communication and communion with God it's it's a it's a posture a way where we are both speaking to god and we are listening and receiving from god we are being in his presence and there's a lot of people that i know who want to follow jesus but never really get the whole prayer thing down and i don't understand that that's sort of like getting married to someone but never really talking never spending time with anybody and they wonder why they wouldn't have a good relationship This morning, I want to walk us through uh, real quick uh, a model of prayer that may be helpful for you. Uh, I read a book uh, earlier this year, and I can't remember the author's name, uh, but it was basically called uh, uh, A Simple Prayer, uh, A Guide for Normal People on Prayer, and he teases out this model uh, that I thought was really good called Pray, and maybe you've heard of other models like the Acts model, which is Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Really great model, too. But this one I love for this idea in particular of us figuring out a way to give our attention to God in a better way. And so I want to walk through this. This is an acronym, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I hate acronyms for so many different ways, but this one is a pretty good one. Because uh, let's be honest, if you're trying to think about an acronym and remember how to pray, what better acronym to use than the word prayer or pray itself. So I'm going to walk through uh, what they are real quick, and then we're going to start with the P. So what they stand for is pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. Now let's start with the P, pause. This is all about this idea of slowing down and centering yourself on God. I mentioned earlier this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer. Uh, and we'll talk more about this book in this series and some of the thoughts that um, he has. But there's a famous uh, theologian named Dallas Willard who once was asked about what is the most important sort of thing that a person could do to uh, grow in their spiritual walk. And when this, this other pastor named John Ortberg asked this question of Dallas Willard, He was thinking he was going to say, um, figure out a way to pray more, um, maybe read a certain um, theologian front and back, maybe memorize this book of the Bible, something of that sort of mind. And his response was just this, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And the whole thought process about this came from just this, we are at our worst when we are in a hurry. Think about this. Has anyone ever said that while you were in a hurry, you said the most encouraging thing to them ever? Do you ever feel like a great parent when you're in a hurry? I don't know about you, but I always say the most uplifting things to my wife when I'm in a hurry. Nothing backhanded or sarcastic at all. And so there's this idea that hurry really can become this enemy. And the issue is is Our culture, honestly, is all about efficiency and hurry, right? I mean, it's why people, which is really dangerous and terrible, so stop doing it, are texting or sending emails while they're driving. Or why many of us, sadly, when we're having conversations with other people in uh, with them, we are standing like this. We are constantly rushing around. We create very little margin in our lives. What's baffling to me is how sometimes I hear people, which let's be honest, this is, this is the, this is sort of the canned, um, standard conversation that people have these days, right? And I'm guilty of this too. You say, how are you doing? We're great. Just really busy. I had a dollar for every time someone said that to me. My student loans would be paid off, which is quite a feat. But we say that because we almost get to this point where it's this badge of honor. I'm exhausted. My schedule is full. Woo! Living life. And the issue becomes, our soul is sucked away because most of us, if we're honest, if I said, how much time do you spend in prayer? Do you have a set-aside time of prayer with God? Most of us would say no, and we'd probably give some sort of response of, I just don't even know if I have time. So we have to learn to pause. Now we learn this from Scripture. In Psalm 46, the famous verse just reminds us of this. Be still and know that I am God. There's this importance where many of us don't connect to God, don't really surrender or give our allegiance to God, because we never stop long enough to really be in awe and wonder of Him and recognize this fact that He is worthy of our praise and our attention. In the Gospels, we have this in multiple different places, but we learn this, that Uh, I love this verse from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came here probably having a good idea that he was only going to have a short life. Lived to about 33. Had a pretty big mission. Not that uh, 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 the rest of us don't have significant lives or goals or missions in our lives, but, you know, coming to the world to be the sacrifice for every human being of all time, showing a new way, bringing the kingdom, that's a pretty big deal. I think we could say that he probably had some urgency in his life. Yet repeatedly we see, during this time period of his life, that he would often withdraw to places away from people and pray. Now, let me just say this. Your life is not as important as Jesus's life was. That's hard to swallow, right? And so if he could find time to spend in prayer with his Father, to pause, to to stop rushing around, I'm going to be honest, I think we probably could too. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has a longer teaching on prayer, but part of it, he just says this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Here's what Jesus is basically saying. Don't make it a spectacle. Don't overthink it. Get alone with God. You don't have to say tons of words. You always think one of the significant things, how I knew that I was going to marry my wife, was that we could go on a longer car ride, and it could be silent, and it wasn't awkward. You know what I'm talking about? Because we've all ridden in the car with people where either they don't know how to stop talking or you feel like this is uncomfortable so I need to start talking. There's something beautiful about You find your people when you can ride in the car with them and you don't have to talk and it's not weird. I think there's something to be said about that with our relationship to prayer and our relationship to God. That prayer can become this thing where we don't have to anxiously just come with this list of things to do, but sometimes we can just stand in his presence, sit in his presence, bow in his presence, and just be still and be okay with it. Now, again, from this book, there's been some studies on the connection of uh, religious devotion and self-control and willpower. Now, I'm going to use a quote in a minute that's going to bring up meditation. Here's what I don't want anyone to do. First of all, meditation can be a spiritual discipline, but don't start to think Aaron's going all crazy on you and did all this new age stuff. But here's what, what studies have found. They've shown that meditation is a powerful way to build and replenish willpower. So while our willpower is a finite resource that goes away, by meditating or pausing and praying, it actually can help you replenish and build up the amount of willpower that you have. In fact, a, a, a study found this. Neuroscientists have discovered that when you ask the brain to meditate, Or pray, it gets better not just at meditating, but a wide range of self-control skills, including attention, focus, stress management, impulse control, and self-awareness. It's almost like the God of all the universe has asked us to do things that science is finding is just good for you. It's crazy. To learn to pause. Maybe a step for you this week is quite literally to just find some sort of moment in your your life where you can stop, close your door. And honestly, I'll be honest, I do this sometimes. If you're like me, you just don't feel like you have enough time, or you're like, this this silence and all that is just going to kill me, set a timer. When the timer goes off, you can, and just start small. Maybe you start with literally just a couple minutes, move up to five minutes. I don't think we all have to get to this place where we are these monks or nuns who take a vow of silence. But some of us could really just uh, do a great job by either beginning their day, ending their day, taking some time during lunch, some, some time where you can find it, to just pause and be still before the God of all the universe. Maybe open up Scripture and allow that to pour over you as well. All right, the R stands for rejoice. Rejoicing is about uh, adoring Him, about uh, praising Him, about giving thanksgiving. This one uh, shouldn't be that hard. But studies also find this: people who are gracious and uh, who, who who have a sense of gratitude and express gratitude in their life, guess what? They're happier people. Who would have thought? The issue is, let's be honest, every single one of us could tell could tell me what the terrible thing that happened to them that day at the end of the day was, right? Maybe for some of us, a great new step would be to start at the end of every day writing all the good things that happened to you, finding the little things and the big things to thank God for. Now, in Psalm uh, 117 it just reminds us this praise the lord all you nations extol him all you people for great is his love towards us and the faithfulness of the lord endures forever praise the lord in philippians 4 paul wrote this he just says rejoice in the lord always and again rejoice if you know jesus if your life has been transformed by him it doesn't matter about the circumstances or scenarios in your life you have so much to rejoice in, and it starts just with God himself, the gift that he is in Jesus. Now, the A stands for ask. Ask is about the, probably the thing that most of us, if we pray at all, this is the thing that we're good at. You know, we know how to throw up the Hail Mary prayer right before the test when we were in school that we didn't study for. We know when we did something stupid and we're like, all right, God, I know I did something stupid. I didn't listen to you. Can you get me out of this? We're really good at this. We're like kids on December 1st with our list for Santa that's crazy and long. But it's important this. We ask for this. We ask for ourselves. We ask for other people. And the truth is, some of us don't do a good job, though, of asking. We ask for the wrong things. I think the more that our attention and our relationship becomes closer to God, the more that we read Scripture, the more that what we ask for becomes in line with what God wants for our lives, rather than just the things that we want and desire ourselves. You see, most of us struggle with asking for the wrong things and getting frustrated when God doesn't give us the things that he never promised to us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus wrote this in chapter 14, and and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may glorify, may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches this. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who receive, who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, you will give them a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we will give him a snake. If you then, though you are you are evil, you are not like God. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to the, do it to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Essentially, what Jesus is just saying: this. If you're a good father or a good mother. And your child asks you for something they legitimately need? Who isn't going to do that? And so ask the Lord. Put your request before Him. Now, this isn't like a magic little, you know, you put in your coin and this is a vending machine of, I'm going to get this sort of healing, or I'm going to get this amount of money, or this job is going to happen. I think part of spiritual maturity is the closer we get to Christ, the more we allow the spirits. To really invade our lives. The more we begin to ask for the right things. And the more we begin to understand. How God answers our prayers. oftentimes not in the way that we ask. But he always answers. And the greater gift goes back to just this. That he's with us. He's for us. He's made a way for us. And his name is Jesus. The final one is just this. Yield. Yielding is about. Uh stopping and listening it's about contemplation it's about confession a good way to teach this if you wanted to teach this to your children is maybe a better word that's easier to understand for a child or for anyone it's just the word yes it's about this idea of saying yes to god that though we pause that though we rejoice that though we ask at the end of the day we surrender ourselves to him that at the end of the day, we say, not my will be done, but your will be done. We say that it's about you. In Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. He said, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You have to die to yourself. You have to allow God to transform all of you if you really want to follow him. The Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus teaches us what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer, this this section of it really sums up the idea of yielding or saying yes to him. Jesus taught us to pray this. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Basically, you are holy, I am not. And he says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this way, we say, God, it's not about me, it's not about my kingdom. It's about you, it's about your kingdom. And that may not always be what I want, what I like, what I'm comfortable with, what I feel like I deserve. But at the end of the day, you are God and I am not. Jesus is Lord and he has saved me and I didn't stand a chance without him. I'll leave you with this quote as the band's going to come out from Drew Dick, from his book, Your Future Self. will thank you. He says this, what self-control requires ultimately isn't control, but it's surrender. Ultimately, mastering yourself is only accomplished by being mastered by God. For the beginning of having a better future. Is surrender. Or put another way, the beginning of having a winning life, as some people might want to put it, is by losing the one you currently have, by laying down all you have and saying, God, I, I don't want this life that I've tried to build. I want the life that you want to build for. And it starts with prayer. And for some of us this morning, we might literally have the opportunity to pray. To pause before him and acknowledge the fact that he is God and I am not. To seek his forgiveness for the wrongdoing, the sin, the brokenness in our lives. And allow him to forgive us and give us a fresh start. And then we can rejoice. We can ask him to help us. And we can just say yes to him. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what's been going on in your life recently or in your past. But I hope and pray you can begin to give your full attention to the God of all the universe. as he loves you and his attention has been solely focused on you. Long before you were the thought of anyone in this world. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And I'm going to pray as the band is going to lead us in one last song. Join me in prayer. Father God, thank you for the fact that we can pray to you. God, thank you for the fact that you're approachable. And God, that you listen. God, that there's nothing too small or too insignificant for us to bring to you. But you're a father who wishes nothing more than for your sons and daughters to be in your presence and for us to allow you to take care of us. God, this morning I pray that we can surrender ourselves. And in particular, God, surrender our future to you. So, God, we could have a better future here in this world and in the next. So, God, I pray if anyone chose to pray that prayer of seeking forgiveness and just surrender, God, I pray that they would know that there is a party going on in heaven. God, as we sing this last song, as we worship you, would our heart posture just be one of yielding and saying yes to you in whatever you want us to? whatever you want us to hear. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.